Welcome to another day at Vertical Church, and welcome to the new year. I'm so excited for what God has in store for us this year. It's no accident that you are here today. God has destined for you to be here, and I'm grateful. So we are going to listen with all attentiveness to what the Spirit has to say. Amen? Today, we are going to listen attentively to what the Father is arranging in our lives. Amen? And we are going to listen attentively to the Son who is with us. Amen? You know, God has written into the very DNA of every living thing a constant. Something that is true of everything that has life. And here is that constant. Change. God desires for there to be transformation in everything that he creates. Transformation is the evidence of real life. It's the evidence of health. There is change that happens. There is growth that occurs. For a living thing to be stagnant, to be dormant, to not have any change that comes to it, is an indicator that it is unhealthy, or worse, dead. The real evidence of life is change. Plants grow and produce fruit. Trees grow, become taller, larger, roots deeper. Even our human body is designed to obviously change over time. And just one of the small but incredible ways that God has built that into us is even in how he has made our skin cells. On your body, there are about 19 million skin cells within one inch. Within a one-inch square... 19 million skin cells. And your body is in the ongoing, continual process of getting rid of old and producing new. It is a continual process. Today, you will get rid of about 40,000 dead skin cells. That's why we vacuum. And your body, <clears throat> in terms of skin, will reproduce itself about every 27 days. Fascinating. God has built into the DNA, even of our skin, a process of change and growth, of replacing what is old with what is new. The greatest evidence of spiritual life in you and me is transformation, is change, a shedding of what was and a gaining of what is and will be, a process of getting rid of the old and walking in the new. 
And God is the engineer of this. He has written it into our very DNA code spiritually. He has written that into your DNA code. He intends for you to put aside the past and to walk in faith. He not only has written that into the DNA code that you have, but he is persistent in even the events of your life in helping that happen. He wants you as a child of God to be experiencing new and deeper life. And the Father is committed to this. So much so that every event of your life is strategically planned by him so that there is nothing that happens by chance, circumstance, luck, bad luck, or by the will of anyone else, but by his will alone. He is working, engineering all things together for you to experience his glory in your life. He is doing that. He is engineering that. He's written it into the code of who you are, and he is producing the events that are taking place in your life right now. COVID-19 was not a shock to God. The events that are happening in our nation right now are not a surprise to him. And in spite of what they may look like now, he is the one who is engineering every event. The scripture tells us that. So he's written it into us. He's working it. He's engineering it. The events of your life specifically, he is engineering. He is designing. Uniquely crafted for you to be able to experience more of him in the DNA, in our circumstances. And the scripture tells us why. It says he is doing this in order to conform us, shape us, grow us, change us into the image of his son. He is uniquely crafting the events of your life to cause you to become more like Jesus. Now, I don't mean in your physical appearance. I don't mean necessarily in the robotic actions of your life. I'm talking about on the inside of your soul, you recognizing who you are in relation to the Father like the Son. I'm talking about you recognizing the blessings that have been given to you in the Son. I'm talking about the confidence that the Son has being in you, you walking in the confidence of who you are in Christ. This is what he is doing in you. He wants you to know the blessings of being in him, the confidence of being in him, the joy of being in him. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. He is conforming, shaping, molding, crafting, changing you into the very heart and image of Jesus Christ. And he knows how to do that. And so in those moments when all of a sudden you're thinking, man, my life is out of control. Things are just whack. It's just crazy. I don't know what's going on. Of course you don't. The Father does. And you trust in those moments that he is engineering, working all things together. So 
DNA inside, the Father working all things outside, the Son He wants us to be like. But hey, there's another part as well, the Spirit of God. The very ghost of God is within you, and He is the one rising up inside saying, I'm ready for something fresh. I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to get out of this old shell. I'm ready to break past this thing we've been doing for this past year. I'm ready to get on past 2020. I'm ready to change some things about relationships and the way I think. All of that that you're sensing, all of that that is inside you, all of that that's pulsing within you and wants to get out and wants to change, that's the Spirit of God within you. You see, everything about God is calling you to something deeper. Everything. Everything he's doing around you, in you, with you, is all toward that end. To not change. To keep thinking the same way you've always thought. To keep feeling the way you've always felt. To keep doing the same things. Going the same places being with the same people without ever facing risk, challenge, growth, fresh, new. God, what are you doing? Is to live in a place of just dormant, boring life. And you have been called to more. God has something powerful for you in this next year. It's more than what you know. It's more than what you can even wrap your mind around today. And it requires having a heart that says, Lord, I'm ready to come to the edge. I'm ready to get right on the edge of me and jump off into the fullness of you. Here I am, Lord, available. And I love that song. Did you love that song? It's just... We're going to do that a lot more over this series because it's really the cry of what I'm praying will be true for us as a church. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 this morning. We're going to look at a couple of passages today uh, that help us understand what God is all about uh, and what he wants to do in our life. If you can get a big picture, zoom out, perspective on who God is and what he wants for your life, it'll help put some of the small things in better perspective. It'll help you give some, it'll help you have some insight about what's going on in your life. So I'm going to tell you one of the things that God is just bursting with passion to do, and it is in this passage. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And here it comes. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen here. Here is what God is passionate for. Here is what beats in the heart of God and has 
from before creation and will for the span of eternity. The thing that God absolutely loves to do is to reveal his glory. He wants the creation to know how glorious he is, how much glory he has, and he wants us Fallen sinners, undeserving, who stiff-armed him, went our own way, done our own thing, who don't deserve any of it. He wants us to know that glory. This verse says that this is actually what heaven is going to be like. It says in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In other words, When you and I get to heaven, it will be the beginning of your greater understanding of an eternity-long school of what it means to see the glory of God. Oh, we'll be made perfect in the day we get to heaven. Oh, everything we've believed by faith will become sight in that day. But from then on, it just begins a process of you and I beginning to experience, whoa, this is the glory of God? Wake up the next day. Whoa, this is the glory of God. There's actually no days in heaven, but for illustration purposes. Wake up the next day. Whoa, this is the glory of God. Every day, if there were days in heaven, there would be greater glory. It would be a process. God is in the ongoing eternal process of revealing his glory. And he wants those who know him today. Actually, he wants all to know this. He wants you. Wherever you are today in the process of knowing him, there's so, so much more he wants to show you. There's so much more he wants to reveal to you. And he is so wise and loving that he knows how to arrange the events of your life, the circumstances that you're going through, the people you know, the place you live, everything about you. He knows how to arrange them all so that you can experience more of him. He wants you to go deeper. You think, how does he do that? Great question. I want to show you a second passage that will help us understand how God does this because we all want to get in on this deal. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 The Apostle Paul is writing again, and he writes out of the experience he's had with him, and he writes for us, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. In other words, it, the gospel, The fact that grace has been given to sinners, that while you were in your sin, the Father sent his Son so that he might pay for your sin, remove your guilt, your shame, cause you to experience his kindness, his glory, and all be by faith. And he says this in verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Here it is. Here's the way God reveals himself. His greatness, his righteousness, his glory, his wisdom, his wonders. This passage says he does it 
from faith to faith. In other words, he'll bring you to a place of faith for you to be born again, saved. And then he wants to show you more. But to get to more, you're going to have to get to another place of faith. From this place to this place. From this faith to this faith. And when he's revealed himself then, and you say, God, you are so glorious. I've learned so much. He'll say, yes, now I have more for you. And he'll tweak the events of our life. He'll position people and circumstances. And he'll say, now... I'm calling you here. And he calls us to move to that faith. From faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. It just keeps going. The sad thing is, God desires for us to be often much further down the road than where we've let ourselves get to. Because sometimes along the way, people say, oh, man, I got saved. It was awesome. And then I got the courage and strength to get baptized. It's awesome. And then I began to have faith to walk in him and, and let others know that I'm a Christian. And then he called me to something different that I had never been in before and it was a new step of obedience. It was going to be hard. And it was going to be a sacrifice. And it was going to cost me something. And, and it was going to be awkward. And so I'm just going to stay right here. And you stay in that place of faith. When that happens, you become a three-year-old in what ought to be a 40-year-old believer. Some people say, oh, give them enough time, they'll mature. Look, time does not mature people. Time ages people. But you can be 60 and be a two-year-old spiritually because you would not move from faith to faith to faith to faith. There's so much that God wants to show you, but if you're not willing to go to the next level, you'll get stuck. You'll be positioned here when he wants you to be there. And there's so much that Heather and I want to show our grandkids. And some of them, as they're getting older, we have six, by the way, seven on its way. And they range in a variety of ages, you know, from four all the way down to just months, three months. Avery here on the front row. And so, uh, you know, I can, I can go do some things with Riley, the oldest. We can go out in the backyard. We can play. We can run. We can jump on a little trampoline she's got. We can swing. We can play hide-and-go-seek. We can go in the toy room because she's four. But I can't do that with Avery yet. Avery's three months. She has to have a lot of care at this point. But I'll, I'm anxious for her to grow up because there's so much more I want to show her. There's so much more I want to show Riley. There's so much more for them to experience. And God the Father is like that, but on an even grander scale with us. There's so much more he wants us to experience. But we have to be willing to move 
and do the thing that's often difficult, change. Some things have to change. Change is awkward. Change means leaving where I've been. Change means getting out of the old routines. Change means change. I got to change how I think, change how I relate, change how I see people, change how I see life, change how I see God, change my attitudes, change my actions, change my behaviors, change how I talk, change where I go, change how I drive. Everything requires change if you're in this process of faith. In the same passage here, the next part of Romans 1, verse 17, Paul would go on and say, this is actually how the just live. The just shall live by faith. They shall live in this process of change. Change me, God. Show me more, God. Change me, God. Show me more, God. I'll obey God. Change and change and change. But there's an enemy and there's a resistance to change. There's an enemy of your soul that doesn't want you to change. There's a part of you that resists change because you like the comfortable, you like the easy, you like the way it's always been. You don't want to move into new areas. You don't want to have to face this awkward moment of having to trust God in some areas where you've leaned on yourself for so long. So in our message today, I want us to look at some of the enemies to change. In fact, seven ways that people resist change. And my guess is that None of us here want to be in the place where we say, God, I don't want to change. So with that in mind, let's look at these. If you take a note, you're welcome to take pictures of the screen if you'd like for these to be part of your notes. The first reason that people often don't change is because they are weighed down by guilt. Guilt has a funny effect on people when you carry it around, when you carry around the pain of your sin, the guilt of your sin, when you keep carrying around the reminders of how much you failed, when you keep carrying around what you did last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, when you keep carrying those around and somehow feel like it's up to you to have to pay them off, carry them around, bear the burden, if it's somehow on you, it will keep you from changing. Because you'll be so burdened down with it, it will weigh you down. It'll actually color everything about how you see life. Guilt is an unhealthy thing. It's unhealthy for your mind. Because, boy, it keeps your mind spinning about the past. It keeps you playing the tapes of the past. It keeps you replaying what you did and reliving it as though it's happening again and again. It's the worst version of 51st Dates that you've ever seen. But you, you know what I'm talking about because if you've ever tried to carry around your own guilt, if you've ever tried to pay it all off yourself, if you somehow feel like this is my burden to bear, you know what it does to you. If you stay focused more on what you haven't done than what he has done for you, you know the pain of guilt. And it'll keep you stuck. It'll keep you right where you are. In fact, it'll keep you right where you got hurt last. It'll keep you right where you failed last. And you won't even move past it because you're wallowing, stuck in your guilt. And it'll mess with your mind. It'll mess with your emotions. There are untold people today who struggle emotionally because they're carrying around the guilt of their past and it makes their 
heart race. It makes them fearful. It makes them depressed. It makes them anxious. What's a weird thing that happened in the Old Testament? Now stay with me on this. There's a, a passage described in the Old Testament in the law, this is under the Old Covenant, where if a woman was suspected of being unfaithful to her husband, there was a very unusual process described in the law to find out whether she was actually guilty or not. Stay with me. This is in Scripture. If the husband thought she had been unfaithful, they would both go to see the priest. And there he would bring an offering. He would describe the situation, and the priest would then take some water, and he would reach down, and he would pull up some dust off of the floor. He would put it in this water, mix it, and give it to her and say, I want you to drink this. And if you are innocent, there'll be no effect on you. But if you have been unfaithful, you will become sick. Weird, huh? It's in the Old Testament. It really is there. And it describes the power of guilt in our life. Because sure enough, if she drank it and she was carrying unconfessed sin in her life, she would get sick. And then all would know she was unfaithful, and then she would confess. There is a powerful effect when you and I carry guilt. It'll keep you locked. It'll keep you stuck. It'll keep you from changing and moving into all that God has planned for you to be. The scripture offers hope, though, because this is the very reason that Jesus came. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, if you admit it, if you get out and cleanse yourself from it, if you'll confess what's been hidden, if you confess your sin, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will set you free, and then you can move on. You don't have to live in the past. You can move forward to what he has for you next. You can change. So often, many Christians are stuck in their faith because they're still carrying the guilt. They're so focused on what they've done that they're not seeing what Christ has done for them. Number two, the second reason that people don't change often is fear of what they can't control. We're a funny lot people, you know. We like things to be under our control. We want to control where we go, who we're with, our situations. We don't want to be manipulated. We don't want to be taken advantage of. I get all that. I'm that way too. But you know, the very act of faith calls us into the unknown, calls us into places we haven't been, and calls us out of trusting in ourselves and trusting in God completely. It's the very nature of faith. It's a change that must take place. And so if you're unwilling to change, you're going to have an awfully difficult time in this thing called faith. You're going to have an awfully difficult time walking into what God has for you because to do so is going to require you to let go of some things. And one of those is your own control. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. When I can't see good, I can know he is good and that he is taking care of me. But it's an awkward thing letting go. It's an awkward thing letting go of the steering wheel. So if you know Hunter, my son, who's our tech director here at Vertical, if you've ever had a conversation with Hunter, at some point in the conversation, you heard the name Tesla. 
Hunter's dream is to someday have and drive a Tesla. Might not ever happen in this lifetime, but that's his dream anyway. It might. In his mind, it will. So uh, Hunter and Justin had this incredible opportunity recently to go test drive a Tesla. Now, if you don't know about a Tesla, it's not just an electric car. It is a self-driving car. I can tell you're freaked out already by that because we're all control freaks. Hunter said he experienced it. So they go on this test drive, and they enter in on the screen where they want to go. Hit go. Sit back. And car. It starts driving. And you're going, this is North Park, Hunter? They're up in uh, North Park Mall area. Traffic. Cars, lights, turns, and the car is slowing down, changing lanes, coming up to curves, navigating it, slowing back down, light turns red, light turns green, turn the corner, and Hunter said it was the most awkward feeling because you're so programmed if you're in a car, you're in control. It's what we do. You have to be in control. You, it's what you've been trained for. It's what driver's ed was all about. You know, looking at what was ahead and being a defensive driver and trying to see all the possibilities and navigate all of that and your mind's racing the whole time. All of a sudden, now you're sitting in a car that does all of that for you, that's supposed to be able to see behind you, see beside you, know what's ahead of you, know the turn, know the stoplight, know the people around you, and it does all of that for you. That's an awkward feeling, releasing that control into the car's hands, right? I'm not sure I could do it. I'm not, I just, you know, just take my hands off the wheel and just let it do its thing. Anybody else feeling that awkwardness and tension? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hunter said it was awkward, but it was awesome. Right, Hunter? I have to wonder sometimes if that's not what the process of faith is like. Or God says, hey, I know you like to drive this thing called life. I know you like to know what's coming up and who's beside you, who's behind you, what's coming up ahead. But look, faith says, trust me. Faith says, you're going to have to let go of control. If not, you will never experience change. Change means leaving where you've been, letting go of what you have tried to control. Number three, another reason that people do not change is they get stuck in bitterness. So guilt is all about things that we've done. Bitterness is all about things that others have done to us. And the Bible describes bitterness as like a, um, a root. And it says, be careful lest a root of bitterness spring up. In other words, in this process of life, as you are moving through it, and someone hurts you, which, by the way, that happens to all of us, everybody, it's part of life. We should never say, God, what are you doing to me? It's part of what happens in this world. In a fallen world, you are going to experience hurt. Someone is going to fail you. Someone is going to hurt you along the way. In the process, what tends to happen for a lot of people is they let a root of bitterness spring up, and that root goes down right there in that moment, and they don't move 
again. They live as though they are still stuck in the moment of hurt. Although life keeps going, people grow beyond them, they're still stuck. They're still stuck back at the moment that dad said what he did, mom did what she did, spouse did what they did, friend did what they did, employer did what they did, life did what it did, and they get stuck in that moment, and they no longer change. God brought them to that moment and said, I've got so much more to show you, but you're going to have to move from this faith onto this faith. And you'll have to learn to do the very thing that we all learned the moment we were saved. Forgive. In that moment, God forgave you. And there you and I are called to forgive others. That's what moves you from faith to faith. Sadly, a lot of people get stuck in that spot. Number five, I believe we're on four. People believe the voices of defeat. So in every one of us, we have kind of this uh, protocol of voices that we listen to. You have this conversation with yourself every day, all day, about decisions you're going to make, people that are coming up to you, and things you're thinking about the moment, and things you're thinking about life, and decisions you're going to make, places you're going to go, things you're going to do, things you're not going to do. And it's important for us as believers to make sure we are hearing God in those moments. That in that moment, we are being like what Jesus described as sheep who know the voice of the good shepherd, and say, God, what did you say? Okay. Uh, it's going to be awkward, but I'll take that step. And we take that step because this is where he's leading us. He's moving us to the next spot from faith to faith. But if somewhere along the way, you start hearing another voice that says, you don't really believe God said that, do you? You, you really can't believe that he would lead you to do that. You really don't trust him, do you? He's not that good. You know that. You see, that is the voice of the enemy. Those are the things he said to Eve. And those are the things he still whispers today. Oh, and he's a great ventriloquist too because he likes to deceive you into thinking you are just you. And he'll use his voice in your head to make you hear you are never going to experience the goodness of God. God has left you. God has turned on you. God would never call you to that. God, 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 and soon you'll have turned him off. Soon you will have assumed he is the voice to listen to. And God says, look, all that stuff, fake news. You're going to have to learn to listen to me. And if you're listening to all the fake news, by the end of the day, you're going to be in a rough spot. You're going to be in a terrible spot where you're just going to say, forget it. I'll just take control of my life. And when that happens, you'll get stuck again, and you won't move from faith to faith 
to faith. God's calling you to trust him, to believe his word, to believe his spirit within you, and to walk in faith. He's calling you to that. Sadly, most Christians have learned to dismiss God and believe the lies of the enemy more than dismiss the lies of the enemy and walk in faith to what God says. And this is what he calls us to. Listen to me. Take the next step of faith and obedience. I'll grow you from faith to faith. The next one that people often find as a reason for not changing is this. They keep faith separate from their life. Hmm. This is a real deception from the enemy. Always has been. And seems to be a favorite tool. To somehow make Christians think that the truth we talk about in here applies only for here. That out there, that's different. That in here, we can talk about walking by faith, proclaiming Jesus, Jesus is Lord. But the minute we get out there, it's, well, it's helter-skelter. Do whatever you want out here, folks. You, you know, I just have to do what I have to in my work. I just have to do what I have to in my life. I just have to do what I have to in my finances. No, no, no. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord here. He's Lord out there. He's Lord in your home. He's Lord in your house. He's Lord at work. He's Lord on the highway. He's Lord everywhere. If truth is truth in here, if we say there are only two genders, if we say there's only one way that marriage happens, if we say God's word is true, if we say this is true, then it's true here, it's true there, it's true everywhere, because truth is truth. And we have to stand in that. And I can't separate it out and compartmentalize it and say, true for us, not for them. True is true is true. If it's true here, it's true there. When God speaks to you here, it's meant for your there. It's meant for your home. It's meant for your life. It's meant for your marriage. All the talk about love your, love your wife's husband like Christ loved the church, that's not just while you're here. That's while you're there because the truth is the truth. But if you separate it, if you compartmentalize it, you will find yourself stuck. You won't grow from faith to faith. In fact, what you'll end up doing is from fake to fake. You'll come in here and hear stuff, go out there and fake stuff come back in here and pretend to believe and go out there and pretend you don't. You'll fake. You'll mess it up. You won't change and you won't grow. Our next one. Number six. When you worry what others will think. Hmm. It's an easy distraction you want to get more likes on social media. You want to get more friends at work. You don't want to be the guy that's looked at, laughed at, talked about. You don't want to be that girl that everyone else looks funny at and talks about. 
So you live to please other people. You live to see what they want and you do what they want. But here's the deal. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, set him up as Lord in your heart. If you'll do it there, you'll do it everywhere. But here's, here's the deal. Your friends are not Lord. Media is not Lord. The government is not Lord. Social media is not Lord. Popularity is not Lord. Comfort is not Lord. Guilt is not Lord. Shame is not Lord. Defeat is not Lord. None of them came for you, died for you, was resurrected for you that you might have life in them. There's only one who has done that. That's Jesus, and he is Lord. And when you set him up as Lord and you choose to live in that, you will change, change, change. It'll be seen in your life. It'll be evidenced in the way you talk and walk and move and go and where you are, what you do. It will show up. But if you don't, if you're so consumed with fear of what other people will think, you'll find yourself stuck. Our last one today, number seven. The reason why people do not change is they stubbornly refuse change. Mm. You know, it's, it's fascinating that... Um, that God would put it in your DNA to change, would arrange the events of your life for you to change, would put coursing within your soul this desire to change, and there be one thing that can actually stop it from happening. Your will. God has sovereignly arranged life in such a way that you have the choice to obey or not obey, to surrender to his will or not, to choose to stay exactly where you are or to say, God, my life is yours. Here I am available. Colossians, Paul writes and says, as you have learned Christ, so walk in him. As you came and surrendered yourself to him, keep walking in that way in him. As you learn to change, keep changing, keep growing. Resist the stagnancy, resist the pull to stay the same. I close today with couple of verses from 1 Corinthians. I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to suggest that I know what's happening inside your heart right now. I'm not one of those whack preachers, all right? I only say this because I know what Scripture says. I'm going to show you what I believe is happening in your heart right now. 1 Corinthians 2. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through 
his spirit. Here's what I think is happening right now in you. God is stirring in you a desire to go deeper. There's something coursing in you that says, this is not all there is. There's more. And you want more. You want different. You don't know what it is because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. But God is revealing it deep within your spirit. There's something in you that says, I want change. I don't want to be where I am a year from now. I want to be in a place where I'm getting fresh insight from God. I want a sense of knowing I'm intimately connected to God. I want a sense of knowing some understanding about His ways in my life. I want to know something about His purpose for me. I want to make a difference in the world around me. I want others to know what I've experienced. That is the Spirit of God coursing through your soul. That is Him calling out to you right now. That is Him pleading. That is Him leading. And what is necessary next is for you and I to say, God, whatever you want for me, I say yes. I will change. I will change how I think. I'll change how I relate. I'll change in my personal walk, my marriage, my parenting. I'll change it all, God, because I don't want this anymore. That is the Spirit of God speaking in you. Hear Him. Hear Him calling you to different. Hear Him calling you to change. Hear him calling you to break past these seven barriers and say, God, I'm on the edge of me today, and I'm ready to jump. I'm ready for what you've got. And over the next eight weeks here on Sunday mornings, we're going to talk about how you do that in eight very distinct areas of your life to see change happen. Can you imagine the difference that we will make from Ovilla if we say, God, I believe you are for me. I believe there's no weapon that is formed against me that will prosper. I believe I'm part of the church of the living God and the gates of hell cannot prevail against me and what you're doing in me. I believe that every event and moment and word spoken in my life has purpose and meaning and you work all things together for good to me who loves you because you've called me according to your purpose. Can you imagine a group of people who believe that and said, I'm going to live it out. I'll live it out here. I'll live it out in my home. I'll speak the truth regardless of what the media, the government politicians say, and I'm actually going to bring truth into every area of my life. That is what it means 
to go deeper. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, our hearts cry today is to be where you are. It's to do the thing that is often hardest for us to do, change. Father, I pray we would have a heart today that is available and willing to change whatever you say about our lives. Things we've thought, ways we have believed, things we do. And God, that you would do what you promised you would do. Conform us into the very image of your son. So I thank you for your desire for that to happen. I thank you for putting in us a desire for that to happen. And this morning, we say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We are available. Change us. In Jesus' name.